Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. What if I told you there's a world where not only are monsters like vampires and werewolves real, but they have rights just like you and me. And in this world, there exists a secret government organization dedicated to keeping you safe and making sure they follow the rules. Welcome to Anarium a Monster of the Week podcast. Each episode, you will follow the story of three agents of Anarium, played by Rob Hamilton, Taylor Catron, and Cameron Bain, as they navigate through the treacherous world that Game Master Samuel Herbert has imagined for them. Tune in on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever your preferred podcast platform is. It's dangerous out there, folks. So, remember, leave the monster hunting to us. The professionals. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we are really excited to be diving into the next set of episodes about one of the classes from D&D 5e. We're going to be talking about druids tonight and some surprises I think we're going to find in this episode. We are recording this after our class warfare episode, which I think is probably the best way for us to go ahead and do this. Absolutely. Really opened up the eyes on the druids. Before we get diving into that, Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, good evening. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you all. Yeah. How are things down in the beautiful state of Connecticut? Doing pretty good. Been working to get ready for a play test I'm doing this weekend of a new LARP that's hopefully starting here in Connecticut called Anomaly. Oh, excellent. So I've been working on some character ideas and how I'm going to represent them out in the live LARPing field. It should be a good time. Fabulous. Hopefully I'll get whapped by a couple of birds and I'll get to shoot people with some Nerf guns. Yep. Nice. Excellent. Nice. I'm going to be moving furniture all weekend, so so you are going to have the the better the better jobs. That's fine. I'm right. jealous of your LARP skills. You were exquisite at it the times we've done it in the past. That's going to be oh, awesome. And I'm always going to be reasonably local and it's brand new and starting, Lewanika. If it, once it gets past the play test phase, <laughs> you could come and play too. Current rules allow teens if they come with their parents. That's possible. Just throw that out there. Yep. 16. Yeah, because that's what Lewanika needs is another game. I, 
<laughs> which is a brilliant segue as you may as i may have said in a recent episode i did a game local shop at the citadel palladium dead rain had a had great fun it was a continuation of the game i did at drinking and dragons a couple of years back right at the start of the pandemic two weeks before the shutdown they were actually engaged in mass protocols or a few protocols before hit before anything got official the week after that laid yeah. off for a month and all that happened like right after that so i went back to that game that first game of drinking dragons was the first night of the apocalypse so to speak this <laughs> is the following day i'm continuing in that series we are now going to tackle about three days later and potentially the rest of that week depending on how far we get in the next session so i'm getting ready primed and ready to do that that'll probably be monthly live at the citadel working out the details with the shop and nice. it's designed for a rotating cast of characters. So new people at a cup, one new person who had never played Palladium before at the table was awesome, had a great time. And I'm looking forward to doing that. I love having new players. I love the freshness of playing with newer people. And I love live and I love the Citadel. So it's going to be... It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that. By the time this airs, I will have probably already have that because I believe that's going to be next. Nice. Talking about playtesting also, of course, our Kickstarter just ended this week, just ended a couple days ago. Just a real quick shout out to everybody who backed our campaign. Thank you very so much. much. I'd love to go ahead. And, yeah, I'd love to go ahead and tell you just how successful the campaign is, but it actually, at the point that we're recording, it doesn't end for a few more days. But at this point, we're at almost three times our goal, which is just amazing. Yeah. Beyond what we thought we we were going to be able to go ahead and get. Thank you, everybody out there for the support. Uh, thank you, everybody that shared the campaign and had us on to go ahead and talk about the campaign. And of course, our beloved backers. Thank you very much for contributing to this little vision that we've got over here about producing some some awesome content. And the tie into playtesting there, of course, is that boy, playtesting new material is just an awful lot of fun. Thankfully, the players also think that it's fun. But it's not just us sitting in a room saying how awesome it is, and the players are like, "Oh God, this is awful." Yeah, it's been a good time. I think that there's going to be a lot of fruit on this vine. See what I did there? Talk about. Druids talk about vines and fruits. Fruit, <laughs> fruits and vines don't matter. How many good berries do we have? Yeah, not enough. Although I did have, I had a large coffee at six o'clock today, and so I'm like vibrating on sound right now. So we'll see how quickly we run through this episode. We'll see how this Her, goes. But you, you decided not to go with a good berry. You went with a good berry latte. Exactly. Caffeine. Uh, I remember you well. So as usual, when we start talking about classes, what we're going to do is we're going to start tonight with our just g- general discussion on the class and the features of the class itself and our overall thoughts on the class, and then next. Tuesday will be our class warfare episode where we bring in friend of the show Scald from Awfully Queer Heroes and we all roll up druids and throw them up this time against Liwanika and a pretty killer scenario which is pretty fun to go ahead and play so that'll be uh, this coming Tuesday and then next Thursday we're going to be diving into the subclass one by one and doing our little ranking but for tonight let's start with the class as a whole alluded to this at the front of the show and said my understanding of druids and my feeling about druids has changed since doing that class warfare episode. Before I dive into my feelings on that. Until we did our class warfare, I didn't actually give the class a whole lot of thought. I've nope. had a couple Same of people here. play them in my campaigns and they do some neat stuff, but I'd never actually done the deep dive. And trying to build a druid for our druid class warfare was my first big serious look into them. And yep. without going into all of the subclass, I was already pretty impressed. They're well rounded as a primary subclass, primary spellcasting class with extras, as opposed to being a half caster, in my opinion. Yep. But they get the extras 
those from the nature side of it. And I think that they're really, even before you bring in the flavor of the subclasses, incredibly well-rounded and like clerics, you could almost build a party out of them. Maybe not quite as utilitarian as clerics, but to be fair, druids only have seven subclasses so far versus clerics, which have 75,000. 17. Yeah, exactly. They found a couple yeah. more of the James Webb satellite. <laughs> exactly. They're knocking clerics. I love me some clerics. Yeah, They've yeah. got a lot more yeah. work has been done to flesh that out. Yeah, that right. kind of potential. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. That point in particular about how you could probably build a, an entire party of nothing but druids, and that party will be exceptionally functional. It will work very well together. And particularly when you listen to the Class Warfare episode, some of the interplay between the various subclasses that we used was epic. It was it really, really, really was like, and totally unintentional at that too. Like We built our characters totally separately from one another and just found that the powers fed off of one another. And I think my overall impression of the druid is that they are far more utilitarian than I thought that they were going to be. I had never played a druid before, I don't think, until that Class Warfare episode. Certainly not in 5th edition. I may have played one in 3rd edition. Beyond that, the thing that struck me most about this class is how solid the base is. Remember when we looked at monks, right? We talked about how like monks is a good class and that all other subclasses are really just flavor. It's just a it's a flavor template that you put over the monk as a whole, but that mechanically no one subclass was really super dominant over the other. We saw the opposite with the fighters. Like the fighters, all of their utility comes from their subclass, right? Like you get second wind and stuff like that. You get some kind of key fighter abilities, but the rest but, of what you get from fighters framework is, is, is feats. What I think that Druid I think that Druid is a perfect match between the two. And Cleric is a great parallel for that, Glenn, where you see that the subclasses not only provide a lot of flavor to the base class, but tremendous mechanics and tremendous varying mechanic mechanics throughout the subclasses. So I'm gonna take us back to school the history of the Druid class, because I think that really leads into this discussion of why we feel the way we feel. Bear in mind, the Druids were originally a subgrouping, a type of cleric in 2nd edition to start with. It, it was an option. I want to say it came out of Dragon in 1st edition, but it truly became its, a subgrouping in 2nd edition. Somebody will have to hit me on that little piece, though. So because of that's why they feel so much like to Glenn's point. But because they were originated as a subclass, so to speak, to use the modern term, they are probably one of the more complete classes where all you're doing now is adding shades of flavor to what was a subclass. So I think that explains why we felt that way about them. Their ability to be utilitarian or cover lots of ground is really just a, a carryover from that, that deep history of being a cleric subclass. So I think it all makes very much sense to that. And monks, while they were their own thing to be to begin with, I think there's a lot of cleric nests baked into them because of the because of the meditation aspects, because of the history, the real world history of monks as a whole in the various cultures. And trying to bring all of those things in, I think you can't help but get again utilitarian feel where the base class is going to be very strong, and then you have to add these subclasses to add the flavor. What kind of this thing are you going to be? That's the subclass. But the mechanics are all coming from the class mechanics that are really knocking it out of the park are mostly coming from the class and less from the subclass. And while I think that's awesome, 
for the game mechanically and flavor-wise, it is a challenge for those of us who have the great pleasure of ranking them because you really, it's hard to mechanically say in many cases for me that one was better than the other because all I ended up saying is I like the feel of one better than the other. So to some extent, my mechanical rankings, not necessarily my flavor rankings, my mechanical rankings came down more to an extension of what is our wild card level. Back to the main class, awesome. Much better than I gave it credit for. I have never played a druid before that I recall. I have had them played sparingly in my games. The one I remember is 3.5, and I had no plan for it what so it really yeah. broke the encounter i was playing and i really did some bad dm things to try to handle that <laughs> like focusing a lot of attacks on that character so at least the level of weight <laughs> i had to bring to the party didn't kill everybody else because that's what was taking the handle of the um and that yeah. was at 13th level 3.5 druid glenn you were that that was when we were in that tight pass in the winter in the mountains and our dear friend Todd this- played the druid who like transformed into god knows what i forget what it was but i don't remember 3.5's rules enough to know how it was possible if it was being done in the realm of possible yes and still leave, still being raw. That particular friend of ours was is an expert at finding the loopholes to become as powerful <laughs> as possible. But yeah, it was a little it was a little bit crazy. Yeah, if I recall correctly, at the time, and this was God had to be 10, 11 years ago or something, or so maybe even more. But as I recall, he didn't break the rules to do it. He didn't recall any special adjudication other than have I seen this type of creature before? That is a question that was answered very well in the textbook, and I didn't expect that to be answered as well in the textbook as it was. For all the hearing about it and the back and forth I hear about it at tables and in game rooms when druids are being played at other tables in the game shop that I'm not playing at or whatever, I did not realize it was so well written until we did this deep dive. Just to be clear, yeah. that player wouldn't have done anything to break rules. They just liked to find loopholes. That was their special style. Absolutely. Yep. He would never willingly break rules. Throw that out there because he was a friend. He is a min-maxer of doom. Yep. Yeah. And we love him dearly. That, that's his bailiwick. That, that's how All it's right. fun for him. All right. So we're going to get into the whole wild shape aspect of druids in a minute here. But I think the first thing that I wanted to go ahead and talk about is the biggest sort of flavor mechanical thing that kind of defines the druids. And that is their lack of ability to wear metal armor and use metal shields. Like they basically eschew metal armor and shields. No restriction on metal weapons. You know, like they can use like sickles and daggers and things like that. A little bit of a little bit of cognitive distance there. I'm not going to not going to lie. But how I was surprised at how it wasn't as limiting as I thought it was going to be when I drew up my 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 druid for class warfare. I thought that was going to be a really big deal. Oh man, I can't use I can't use armor. I'm not going to have good armor. I'm not going to be able to use good shields. The thing is that shields for example in in D 5e are not defined by their material like they Correct. were in third edition maybe armor has that restriction that, armor you know, doesn't actually. you can't use anything more than well okay if you're wearing leather armor clearly it's not metal but if you're wearing plate mail or if you're chain mail that you can't make chain mail out of vines you're, it doesn't you're work. correct but you can make plate mail or scale mail out of dragon hide. So you can go so yes rooms. and no. You can get some you can get some mechanical benefits as long as they're magical items later on for the higher tiers, but in the lower tiers you're a bit limited. But even 
but even leather with some of the other abilities that, that the druids have that I saw in our yeah. class warfare, it's not really that big a deal. Yeah, no, especially with the fact that you, you can use like wooden shields. Like I used, I took my magic item. All of us took magic items that augmented our defense. Yep. And that's the way you get around that. Yep. They can do all right. They're not going to get to the point where they're wearing plate generally, unless you come up with something like a bug carapace or something like that to, to sort it out over. But rogues have been proving forever that you can survive in combat without having heavy armor. Portals. And that's what I did with my build is I just went tortle and I didn't wear armor. I was a turtle with yeah. a shield, bruh. And by definition, it was, it was a great time. I love it. I love it. And I would yeah. not change a thing about it. But you, yeah, you can work around it. You can work around the metal armor thing. But I agree yeah. with you, Josh. Little cognitive dissonance. Why would you get one and not the other? Eh. But on the alternate materials thing, not that I'm specifically trying to open this can of worms, there's a very big movement at the moment to readdress things like dragon hide and dragon scale armor and things like that in games. Because if we are labeling a creature as that sentient, Fair. is it okay to hunt them for their parts, their people, yeah. in yeah. terms of the way that D&D is defining them now? Yeah. And I'm not saying that they're that's definitely not a, a wrong thing by any means. There are yeah. games out there that are going to keep it, but just throwing yeah. that out there. That does limit yeah. it somewhat when you're working with druids <laughs> and you take away metal armor. I th- if, we can't hunt, if they can't hunt creatures for their natural armor as well, it limits them even further. I don't think that's something the game was really built to address or wrap itself around. So that's going to wind up being table to table, but I just wanted to point that out real quick. I, I think that is a brilliant point, and I'm glad you made it. It is something that we should put on the docket to have some discussions about that because there's a lot happening in the community about ancestries and how we address things and allegories for groups of people. And it is something that I've started instituting in my game in the last year to six months, because as I think about these things more, it's a problem. We don't talk about eating dragons because to me, there are sentient people. Why are we wearing? I did have a thing where a dragon, because there are reptiles and they can, I assume they can shed their skin at various points. I'm like, he can give a scale. He can choose to give a scale. He doesn't have to be hunted for that. So you can find, that's how I've gotten around that in my game. Yeah, you can definitely work. Because it is problematic for me. Deeper dive than we want to get into with druids. So worthy (laughs) discussion that I think we should have at some point because I'm interested in that discussion. That's a discussion that means something to me in the greater context of what's going on in the game world. I am. I imagine that to the Asana board as we speak. So we'll, we'll make sure and cover that soon. Cool. All right. On top of that, also, when you pick up your druids, obviously you get spellcasting ability. Glenn, you talked about that, about how as a utilitarian spellcaster, they are no joke. The spells that they get are really nice. Like the druid spell list is just really good. And it's one of the things that I think we're going to lose a little bit with 1D&D, right? When they consolidate the spell list, we're going to lose some of that specialness. I think that druid will still be fine because again, it's going to be on that natural list or whatever the, th- the third list was that wasn't primal. and wasn't, wasn't, yeah, primal. Thank you. So you're going to get some unity between and rangers, which I think makes sense. But I think that's going to be one of the things that kind of you lose a little bit of the specialty when when each class that casts spells does not have their own spell casting spell. Sorry, spell casting list. There we go. Yeah, I don't necessarily think we're going to lose a lot there. And here's what I'm going. Here's why I say that the spell list is the spell list. While there will probably be spells that they redefine and alter a bit, the reality is each individual spell is going to remain the same as long as they go into each of the spells that is currently in the druid list and says that remains a druid available spell so it stays in the primal group 
mm-hmm. don't necessarily have to change much. It's just new spells yeah. as they come in will have to be one of the three. Hopefully they decide to make a fourth in psionics because I'm still holding out hope for that. I put that <laughs> in my survey. But that's really the only thing they have to do. I assume, assumed being the elephant in the room here, that they are going to simply say, these are all the clerical spells. They all remain divine. These are all the wizard spells. They all remain arcane. These are the sorcerer spells. They all remain arcane. These are all the ranger spells. They all are remain primal. These are all the druid spells. They all remain primal. The only thing they have to figure out what they're going to do with is the warlock. And the bard, they have some clerical. Why they can right, heal. They have some healing spells as well. So the other. And they have some bard only spells. Yeah. So my, but they can still do that. So they can say you get the arcane spells and here are some granted spells that you have access to. They can make that alteration. And my guess is that's what they'll do. And my guess is that's really what they'll do with the warlock. Take all the current spells and say warlocks are the only people that have a list because warlocks draw their power from external forces. So it can come from anywhere. Or. They might just say, this patron is full. This patron is divine. This patron is arcane. That could be. That would be hot. So now your warlock gets whatever list their patron would cover. Again, we're jumping away from Druid a bit, but but I'm thinking that's how they could do it. That's how I hope they do that. Right. Speaking to the Druid spell list as it currently exists in 5e, love it. It covers all three of the things that you need it to cover. It's got damage spells that are potent, that scale that matter. They affect individuals, they affect areas, they affect targets, they do lines, they do all the right things. They then turn around, they've got healing spells that cover individual, group, area, and not even talking about what the subclasses get to do for healing on top of that and adding to healing that you get when you cast a healing spell. That's a whole separate, we'll get into that next next episode, but while their healing is on point. And then finally, utility spells, just the different buffs and the abilities and the things you can do. And that's just with spells. We haven't even gotten to the meat and potatoes, which is the wild shape. Yeah, exactly. So, so wild shape, we're going to get into in a minute. I think that spells and wild shape both are the meat and potatoes of the druid class. I think they're designed to work together, which is why in the spell list, one of the things I noticed the absolute most as I was picking my spells was, oh my God, oh my God, everything's concentration. And yeah. It's not everything, but it's super concentration heavy. But that makes sense once I read a little bit further and learned that while in wild shape I can't cast spells, I can maintain concentration on the spells that I've already put in place. And that, in my opinion, is why they set it up so concentration heavy. So you can set down a spell, whether it's offensive like Dust Devil for a small area of effect whirlwind that you can move around, or you're going straight up with Flaming Sphere. Spiky Growth. Moonbeam. Yeah. All of those you can continue to fire or contain an area while you're wild-shaped. And as the only means of magic that you really can access while wild-shaped, it can be very powerful, especially if you plan it based on the shapes that you're going to assume this may be the first time that we look at a spell casting class and say their concentration heavy spell list is actually a boon to the class and not a detriment because i think that we would be sitting here having a very different conversation if the druid spell list did not have so many concentration spells on it with the limitation that you can't cast spells when you're in wild shape because then we'd be looking at the druid class and saying okay so i either need to pick am i going to be a spell casting druid or am i going to be a wild shaping druid and i don't get to do both why wizards why are you making me choose why are you making me make hard bad choices that don't get 
don't let me play the character that I want to play. I think that's the conversation that we'd be having. But instead, because it has this thing that says you can't cast spells when you're in wild shape, but once you've already cast one, you can go ahead and keep your concentration in wild shape. It opens up, like we demonstrated in the Class Warfare episode again, there's a situation where there's a, a concentration spell cast and then they wild shape. And it is just, it's the perfect combination. It really is. It fight really, as the wild form, but I still kept Moonbeam up and was able to damage creatures with it and move it every round as yeah. a bonus action. Because yeah. you can still do your mental effect. Absolutely, yeah. I'm really glad that they did that. And I think that in this case, the concentration spells on the Druid spell list are a boon to the class because of that. It's really well written. On some level, every time we look at a class, like all of a sudden, this class is my favorite. We certainly did it with Paladins. We certainly did it with Warlocks. Maybe not so much with Monk. Maybe not so much with some of the other ones. But certainly there are some that's like, oh man, I never thought about Warlock being this cool definitely my favorite class. Oh, no, Paladin. Paladin's my favorite class. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this fantastic? I'm looking at Druid like, man, I did not give Druid the time of day, and I really should have. Yeah, a whole lot of synergy. Hashtag don't sleep on Druids, because they are hot. Don't sleep on Druids. You're not wrong. There's a couple monks I definitely want to play. I didn't say that about Paladins, and then, of course, what did I do in Streams of Zero? I added a Paladin. To, I added Paladin classes to my battle my battle master. That's because Zendra just inspires you so much. That's in the new game that I'm playing, Old Ways, just that's streaming these days now, streaming once a month as well, I have a ring thief that I am now seriously considering three levels of Druid to. Because I found the subclass, I'll talk about that in the next episode, that I will absolutely fit that character very well. And so th- these are definitely things that I want to do. I, and <laughs> Druid just really, as we got into them, spoke, they never before. Like, I built one yeah. as a, an experiment when we did Von Richten's Guide a year and a half, or a year, two years ago, or a year ago. Was it a year ago? They drew it? Oh, the Swarm Keeper. Right? Yes, I built... No, he was a Swarm Keeper Ranger, actually. No, he's a Ranger. Yeah, yeah, so I didn't. But I, I'm now looking at this thinking, levels of Druid might go well with that to some extent. And then I built one for the Class Warfare before we decided I was going to be storytelling that that particular episode that I am very anxious to play in a game. I will be trotting that out at some game in the future because nice. I really like that character. the 600 pound gorilla in the corner here and start talking about wild shape. But the R rating is that gorilla because you can't wild shape into it if it's <laughs> too high. If you're uh, oh. the circle of the moon, you can, right? Yeah. That depends. You can still Maybe. only go okay. so it's not a giant gorilla. You'll get the apes. Uh, to my knowledge, yeah. you'll circle the moon could get all of the apes. Yeah. Yeah. And I some. think a giant ape is CR3, a gorilla is CR2, something like that. So anyway, all that to go ahead and say, let's get into wild shape because again, like you said so adroitly, Mr. Myers, spell casting and wild shape go hand in hand with this class. And they are very much the two pillars that define the Druid class. Luminica, you've been going second a lot tonight. Tell us what your overall thoughts are about wild shape and in general, in general, have at it. I was just surprised. Like I said, that the rules were actually very well written. We have maligned the player's handbook, the original PHP for 5e, for the life of this podcast, for unclear writing. Like, it was almost written on purpose to drive 
clicks to other sites so people could answer questions and errata that would keep people coming back. But interestingly enough, this was written very clearly. And it amazes me that there's so much question about it at variant tables. And I'm going to quote the book here on Wild Shapes, starting at second level. You can use your action to magically assume the shape of a beast that you have seen before. Let me reemphasize that point. The shape of a beast that you have seen before. There's no ambiguity there. No player should ever ask that question. It is as black and white and clear as day as I've ever seen anything in 5e written. And yet I cannot count on all of our combined fingers, toes, and extras, like for all of our fleet and otherwise, the amount of times I've heard this question, can I do, can I be in that creature? Can I do that creature? Well, have you seen it before? I don't think that's really the rule. Let me go look that up. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that question asked. When it's that clear. Unless it's a just a, an alternate question, unless it's something exceedingly rare, why would it become a question? Because actual in-game character moments where you would know exactly what your character's seen only represents a small modicum of a character's actual life, right? So for a character like a druid, as an example, who's going to spend their life in the wilderness... They may have seen countless more animals or types of animals, even large ones, than will be represented in each gameplay session. So if a storyteller says, I don't know, have you seen one of them before? If I'm a player, I'm going to say, of course I have. It just wasn't in session. But if I don't think of that and I'm screwed, that's not really a fair position to put your player in. Your druid, unless it's not native to the area, they've never been outside of the wilderness and it's an Arctic beast, unless there's some crazy reason that they would never have seen it, not just rule of cool, but rule of they have eyes in their head and they look around every day while they're walking through the wilderness. You shouldn't hold them to a, to the stones or the fire about what kind of animal they're trying to you're choose. You're not wrong, but I think you're misjudging the question that gets asked at the tables, though. The question isn't, have I seen the creature? The question is, does that rule exist? That's the question. People question yeah. what, like, people say, it doesn't matter. I can be any creature, any beast in the monster's handbook. And then DMs will say, I thought it was only the ones you've seen. And then somebody else will chime in. I'm not really sure. I think there's some errata on that. And then three different game tables in the game shop are all trying to find out this rule. What I'm saying is the question is not, has my yeah. character seen this? But the question is, which way does this rule go, is the question that should never be asked. This yeah. is an errata question that need never be asked because it was actually written very well. And if there's yeah. something we can do in this in on this podcast is go out to gamers out there. Glenn's advice to storytellers is pitch perfect and exactly on point. Don't hold yeah. your players back. Let them yeah. do what makes sense for the backstory they have in their head. Hopefully you've talked about it in the development of the character and the session zero. If you're playing in a one shot, let it fly. Just have fun at your table. Glenn's advice is exactly perfect. Let what makes sense happen. Let what's fun happen. Now, if you play in a world that there are not dinosaurs, that's a valid question. Hey, are there dinosaurs in your world? And would my character have seen them? Now that lets you know whether T-Rex is possible. That lets you know whether an actual chicken sized velociraptor is possible. That, kind of question is valid at every table yep what exists in yep. your world would my character have seen it yeah and totally those are valid questions so let those happen but be fair about it if you've got a character who's flipping through books or going to menagerie and town to town to see as many creatures as he possibly can follows the circus has been a while yeah. by beyond the witch let it fly these are things that you could do but as far as the actual rule that is what it is if they've seen it they've yeah. got it oh take i think heed. That- take heed when you introduce yeah. beasts because if you've got a circle of the moon, any beast you show will come back to you. It may have the first time, but generally in that same combat, 
it's biting you again. I realized yeah. that in Barstock because I have a bard who got an ability to do this. I don't remember if it was a spell or whatever. He basically like, oh, I can do that. And he was like, the first time I had a T-Rex, he's got it. That's all yeah. that player needed to see. <laughs> and I was happy for I, it. I, it was a great episode when he finally trotted it out. I think one thing that you said there was particularly brilliant, Monica, is that it is not you know, you cannot wild shape into only creatures that you have seen before in person. If your druid goes to a library and there is a bastard in the library that details with drawings beasts, they have now seen that beast and should be able to wild shape into it. So reward, I would love that as well. Yeah, yeah re- reward player ingenuity. That if you're playing in a if you're playing in a campaign, let's say that you're playing in a campaign world where dinosaurs have not been seen for ten million years. I feel pretty confident that I have seen T Rexes before. I have seen their skeletons in museums. I have seen their pictures in books. I feel pretty confident that if I were to play, totally exactly right. So reward player ingenuity about how they are, you know, how they are air quotes seeing their beasts and everything like that. And I think just to echo the same point that Lee Nika did, Glenn, I think that's a very great point about the fact that as a storyteller, our job is at some point to to guide and inform the players and flipping it back to the players. I don't know. Have you seen them before? Have you seen that creature before? That's lazy storytelling at the end of the day, right? It's no your players asking a question about how they can interpret their ability into your game world that's your job as the storyteller is to give them that information and this is coming from the collaborative world building guy so if you wanted to go ahead and make it into a role-playing opportunity that's one thing if you wanted to go ahead and say describe for me when you saw that creature or when you ran into that beast or something like that brilliant that is absolutely absolutely brilliant tell me the story of the first time you saw the t-rex exactly another awesome way to do it would be right there at the beginning which Lewinica mentioned possibly talking about in session zero so everybody knows what's going on with the druid and the directions they're going to go and how you're going to adjudicate it you could straight up set that up with your druid in the beginning you can be like look the druid form is and this is how i'm going to run it you could set up a thing where he can make a thing out of collecting their forms because if you're starting at level one yeah he may not have ever seen an asaurus so he you could put quests in to go after forms too if you work with your player about it up front but right there at the table on the fly when they're trying to pick a form and transform into it and that's when the challenge is coming up that shouldn't be the time where the discussion is being had in the first place you shouldn't put your player in that position yeah and let's turn the discussion in a direction that for, that the players can see from their perspective. For players who want to play Druid, think about these things as you're filling out your backstory. Not every DM wants pages and pages, but here's the thing. Borrow a little narratively from the ranger, right? The rangers have their favorite environments. There's nothing saying a Druid can't have their favorite environments. When you're saying... Circle, circle, circle of Land is designed, yeah, circle of land is no, designed around... When you're speaking with your storyteller in your session zero, or what is effectively your session zero, take the time to ask those questions. Hey, here's my background. What are the variant, what are some of the areas that I could be from? I could truly see myself saying you're a first level character. You may not have toured the world yet unless you pick a background that would have allowed for that. Hint, hint. There are some backgrounds coming in the future from Tabletop Journeys that will allow you to have been all (laughs) over the world, but, and some of them may or may not be in our most recent Kickstarter. I'm trying to remember what background you're talking about. Oh, we'll say separate topic. We'll say that. It's (laughs) a good one. But, But I would seriously say, unless you had a background that's specifically said i'm from the far away or whatever one of these places that could have seen everything or been far in other realms of some kind i would simply say there's enough environments i'm going to roll a d6 and those are the environments that you will know all the beasts from those environments and just give it to you because yeah 
Druids know what they're going to be able to do. That's why you became a Druid, because you knew what you were going to do, right? You didn't become a Druid not knowing you were going to be able to wild change. Even if you, in the end, settle in the grasslands, that didn't mean that you haven't traveled in the course of becoming a Druid and through whatever apprenticeship or questing you've done before. You may have been through three or four different terrains. So I would be all about... Roll a D6. That's the number of environments you pick which ones you want. In fact, I think that's yep. something I will do if anybody wants to play a druid at any of my tables. I think that's cool. Yep. And that way, there's no question about the beasts from those areas. If you've got a beast and they, in their description, have those environments, then you've got it. No questions asked. Yep. Sources campaign by campaign. I don't have dinosaurs in every campaign I run. I do have right. them in most because who doesn't like freaking dinosaurs? That's a shout out to you, Steve. There's great <laughs> options too. So like a lot of people who are wild chipping, they go for the Allosaurus because of it's charge knockdown prone ability and then it gets to immediately make a bite at the prone target if it's knocked down yeah. you can get a saber-toothed tiger that has a pounce where if it moves 20 they're prone and if they wind up prone then they also get to make i don't remember if it's a claw or a bite or a rhinoceros all at the same cr level it doesn't have to be a dinosaur there's lots of options out there yeah. you just gotta work in you with play your, a giant what you're after but it's not always about combat the coolest thing about wild shape is it's any beast up to a certain cr level right so utility a lot of people don't think about the little cute ones that you can turn into to escape the dungeon or to get the jailer's keys. The next thing you know, you are Poto or Kodo as a little ferret hopping around trying to get out between the bars and stuff. So much you can do with it. You can do it twice a day. It's one biggest drawback is you can only do it twice a day. It doesn't scale. It doesn't increase. If you get killed in wild shape, best part, you just return to being yourself with the same amount of hit points you had before you wild shaped. So it's like an entire form full of temporary hit points. Yeah, which is great. And the one thing, too, is that you do eventually get the ability to go ahead and cast spells in wild shape at 18th level. So, And that actually goes exactly to what I was going to say is that there's a lot of really great about the druid class. And... That all stops by about level five. Everything else that the druid gets are either improvements on their wild shape. I see the skepticism on your face, Lee. Hold on just a second. All right. That's, they're either improvements on wild shape, which is, okay, that's great. Wild shape is going to be one of my cornerstone abilities. Continuing to go ahead and be able to go ahead and do wild shape better. Sure. Fine. At 18th level, you finally get the ability to go ahead and cast spells in your wild shape. I think 18th level might be a touch late for that. The problem is that druids, we've talked about this before, not all classes are built the same. Not all classes get class abilities at the same level. You get an ability at 8 and you get an ability at 18. 8 would be too early. 18 is too late. Ideally, you would have got this class feature probably like in tier 3 somewhere, level 12, level 18, somewhere around that point. Beggars can't be choosers. So given the choice between 8 and 18, picking 18 makes sense because the other thing that you get at 18 is you basically get the same ability that, what's the other class that doesn't age? Monk. Monks, yeah. That's right. Monks stop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And So monks, as an 18th level druid, I basically stop aging for the most part. And then the only other thing, even at 20th level, at 20th level, so you can already cast spells as wild shape. Here's what's really funny. It's not until 20th level that you can cast spells in wild shape without using verbal and somatic components. So if you are a T-Rex and you're casting fireball, you still need to use the verbal and somatic components of fireball to cast it. Fireball being just kind of the generic spell example. Imagine like T-Rex with the little T-Rex arms having to go ahead and do the hand gestures for fireball. arms that can't touch. With arms right. that can't touch. So that's it. finally at 20th level, you get the ability to go ahead and cast spells without having to go ahead and grumble out the arcane words. So you got to be really careful what beast you pick. Yeah. But, but anyway, I'll have to go ahead and say that like once after you get wild shape, the class features 
stop. There's really so, nothing in the higher levels that so is that's appropriate. Good. And it's just like wizard or cleric has actually a lot depending on the subclass. But yeah, that's right. It depends on the subclass. And right. we'll get into that. But the time. classes for main spell casting classes don't have a huge amount because their spell progression is their biggest reward. Yeah, that's the fair. The rest of that it, is- Druid is all lumped into its wild shape. So Druid has two main abilities, spell casting and wild shape. They both evolve as it gets older. You yeah. just don't see them as printed words the same way as you do for everything else where they spell it out in pretty text. Instead, you have to look at the table and see your spell progression and look at yeah. the spell utility that you're getting and look at your wild shape progression. Now, I'm going to be honest. I think the basic wild shape for Druids yeah. should be a touch more powerful than that. I think the, to the point of the moon might be a little bit as good for what the moon is, which is the shape-shifting specialist. It could maybe yeah. be a little bit more powerful if they amped the base, but it's not off by much. Yeah, I would yeah I'm being able to become a CR1 creature at level 8. I think you're right. That could be a little that could be a little beefier. But I think the answer to this is because there are not a lot of beasts. There are so many beasts that are so weak for hit points at the lower levels that they don't yeah. last long in, in any combat encounter unless you're a moon druid where you get more. So I think they need to move up just a little. Like your standard druid should probably yeah. be able to I would say up to level two. Maybe. I would say at least level two. Or they need to build in some one and a half. Like you've got half levels up to one. Maybe we need some something between one and two that you could then access because yeah. I think there are just not enough beasts that are robust yeah. enough to do that. And I think to really fill that higher level niche for your average druid, I really do see druids other than moon druids using their wild shape exclusively for utility purposes for the after te- second, hit second tier. There's no CR one beast that's going to handle CR whatever a tier four enemy once. Exactly. None. So without some form of scaling beyond that, after you yeah. get past tier two, for anybody but a circle of moons druid, their wild ability is no longer real. Come. It's all utility. And the utility remains great because those lower tier beasts that don't have a lot of hit points, they actually can get the most places. A simple can get a lot further along as far as a spy mission in tier four than anything else because no one's going to notice a spider, but they will see the arcane freaking. I think that's the key to how this gets done. If you're just yeah. a, a spider spinning a, a web, capturing a fly or what have you, like roll the dice with the, your storyteller to capture the fly, they're going to see, that's great, they're yeah. just going to see a spider doing what a spider does and they're not even going to care and they're going to keep talking yeah. to their villain and monologuing their evil plan. So what's so what sort of check would you give the player who is wild shaped as a spider and wanted to capture a fly? Would that be, be like an attack. a performance? Be performance? Yeah. Okay, yeah, a simple attack roll, like a performance roll to make it convincing because I know I would need to act pretty well to convincingly eat a fly. I don't think they have to. Even if I was wild shaped as so a spider. I, maybe I know more about spiders than you do, but they don't necessarily eat them right away. They they poison them, and then they wrap them up, and then they'll come back and get them later. I do not like where this call, where this conversation is going. I, I know you Josh, if you were a druid, you might feel better about yeah, it. Yeah, but, That's but again, that is fair. But again, like I said, all you have to do is do the thing to throw suspicion off. And I think that would work. I might, in fact, have a deception or a performance yeah. if the villain was scrutinizing it. Like, that still doesn't look right. You know, what? why doesn't that look right? And then I'll do the thing or whatever. But I think that those are the types of utilities in Tier 3 and Tier 4 that a druid's going to have to use it because those abilities won't work. 
However, because they are a full caster, they've got this awesome spell list that we've already talked about that's going to really pick up and do all the heavy lifting in the latter levels. As it should. That is that is their main that's that, a, that is their ability. Yep. I would say about that level 20th ability, I think it might be the best capstone for any class in the whole game. Mm. I think it's fantastic. Mm. I love it. The ability to wild shape infinitely means as long as whatever doesn't kill them, the excess damage will go to them. They can then wild shape their next turn immediately. Unless you kill them in one shot, they're unkillable at that point. Well, they're basically yeah. immortal. You automatically revert if you fall unconscious. And if you're mm. unconscious, you can't shape back. So that's the way to go ahead and take out an archdruid. You should knock them unconscious. Yep. That actually makes it overpowered. And it goes from, it goes, so it's not the best because it's way overpowered. It goes from two a day for yeah. to boop as many times as you want forever. That's crazy. Yeah. I think there's some scaling that should come in there. There's some level <laughs> tier three medium. that they maybe need to get, I don't know, maybe yeah. a third one. That, that exponential arc there, one to a million, is, is a big it, It's insane. That's something that they could have done to increase the wild shape ability is thrown in at eighth level a third use of wild. Yeah. And yep. at 20, give it five. But I did just notice as we were go- as I was going back over them for this, at 18th level, you still don't get access to all your spells in wild shape because you cannot cast a spell that has material components because you still can't do that. Them. Yep. yep. So you're Good point. you're somewhat you're still somewhat limited, but yeah. But again, that still leaves a lot of room for a lot of things. Simon or whatever's got a lot that they can do. In our upcoming Kickstarter, the Circle of sea, Lakes and Seas Druid. Oh, that's getting into subclass though. But yeah, that's they right. have a, a shape shifted form where they can cast spells at fourteen. That's hot. Yeah. yeah. So we're addressing problems as we go. I will just say that while it may not be the best, because that would mean it's cool, perfectly balanced, and works amazingly well, that I will say without a doubt that this capstone might be the most powerful capstone in the game. Renders you virtually immortal. So yeah, I think that that's a fair. That's a fair. Uh, uh, of course, unless you are a circle of the moon, of course you so, can only shapeshift into a CR one creature. Actually, so, so at I that point you, you've one shot it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's and especially if you're facing if you're at if you're at a level twenty you're facing CR fifteen eighteen twenty twenty five creature. If you're facing a red dragon that's got what four attacks three attacks around that CR one giant eagle that you just changed into is getting one-shotted. You've already spent your action to go ahead in wild shape, meaning that you can't attack back. Now that now the dragon has got two attacks on you, you reduce your hit points. Sure, you're going to wild shape again the next round, but that's just lather, rinse, repeat. So yep. I, I think that's actually, it sounds really powerful on face value, but I'm not actually sure that it's as powerful as you think you are, because you can only go to one creature, which at levels, okay, yeah, that's stupid. Yeah, that's stupid. Because so, your level divided by three rounded down. Yeah, but that is exactly why so many people continue to pick that circle, because the mechanics say, how could you not? Yeah. Mammoth is the only one and the Mammoth is the rules. only one, yeah. So look at the hit points so, on that bad boy. 126 26. hit points, yeah. Yep. Not we much have the only one attacking round. Not much is going to one-shot that bad boy. Nope. No, but again, but you have to keep in mind, too, that even though I as a druid, if I wild shape into something else, I don't heal when I do that. So if I, so if you knock my a 20th level druid, is going to have about 100 hit points, give or take, depending on their constitution modifier and everything like that. If you do knock me out of my mammoth wild shape and you hit me for 50 points of damage because I can't wear armor, so my AC is only 12, right? I can't wear 16, metal armor, 17, anyway, but, as we found. Okay, if I, yes, if I'm a turtle circle of the moon and I can turn into a mammoth, yes, I'm going to be more difficult to go ahead and face. My turtle circle of the moon's AC was 20. Exactly. Yeah, so <laughs> you have maybe found the exception to the can get one-shotted by a red dragon at 20th level rule, but 
that might be the only exception. The optional class features include spells, a wild companion, and cantrip versatility. Specifically, the spells were good additions to an already diverse list of spells. The wild companion, I've never been a fan of summon spirits. I've said that at length on the podcast, but for those who like that kind of thing, it is a good thing. And these were ads, not replaces on these things. And then cantrip versatility, where any of the features for any of the classes, since Tasha has said, you can swap this in and out whenever you go up in a level. I love that feature. It allows you to rethink things. That way you don't get into that old 3.5 trap. I started down this road and it's never coming up in my campaign, but I'm stuck with it. This allows you to refigure. You can pick cantrips that are good for you in the early levels and switch those to cantrips that seem to be working better in the latter levels or depending on where your campaign is falling. So maybe you have things that better affect one type of creature, but that creature never shows up in your campaign. You can swap that out for a better utility cantrip later on down the road. Yeah, it's not that crazy, I think, when you actually look at the way that the math works out. So anyway, all that to go ahead and say, really impressed with the Druid class, really excited for our Druid subclass discussion, which is which you're going to be hearing next week and we're going to be having in about five minutes here. Really excited to go ahead and see that. And definitely y'all are going to want to check out the Druid class warfare that comes out this Tuesday. It was a great time with Scald. Always awesome to go ahead and play with. And uh, Lee Winnie ran a fantastic scenario. Let's go. Let's touch on last words here real quick here. Final thoughts. On one level, There's not a lot to this class other than two features, spells and wild shapes. But those things are very powerful. Spell is a diverse healing combat buffs. Shapes are cool. And really, the only limitation is the beast. So it really lends itself towards storytellers being free with their homebrew creations and free with their ability to let their players access them. And I think it really is a great class for a game table. I wish more people had been playing them at my tables. I wish I had known more about them. I would have probably encouraged it more at my tables. And it's really what I would say, the thing that rings truth about druids for me is the fact is I wish I saw a lot more of these a lot earlier in my 5e career. Agreed. Mr. Myers? I've been watching Fiona play a druid off and on for a while now, and they had impressed me prior, but now that I've really dug into the class, I see why she likes them so much, and I'm looking forward to possibly rolling up a druid in one of my upcoming games. We have a possible reboot coming in one of them, where it's keep the character you have if you'd like, reassessment, or try something new. Maybe I'll throw some dice out there. Who knows? But uh, I'm excited to play it. And I think anybody out there who hasn't really given it a shot, you should definitely dig in. There's enough versatility in the subclasses, which we'll talk about in the next episode, to really help light it up and make it unique. And it's a really solid, well-rounded class that any party could do well to have. Yeah, absolutely. I I would challenge our audience to write up a post it on the Facebook group page or hit us up on Twitter. Show us your druid. I would love to see other people's druid builds. Call it show us your shillelagh. No, I would not call it. Let's let's in fact leave that as keep your shilly in your pack. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back at you next week with our subclass discussion. And of course, on Tuesday, you'll hear the class discussion, the class warfare episode, all the druids all the time. Until then, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much, everybody. Good night. Later, druids. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, 
and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.